I don't think we're ever quite going back to the office as we knew it. And so that's going to further drive our need to have sophisticated technology that's going to enable us to do everything we need to do remotely. Welcome to For the Record, where we go on the record with today's leading influencers and experts to discuss the latest trends in legal innovation and the business of law. I'm your host, Aaron Harrison, and today we're joined by Bobby Ambrosi, a Massachusetts-based lawyer and journalist who has been covering legal technology for more than 20 years, primarily through his blog, lawsites.com. And you likely also know of Bob through his very popular podcast, Law Next. In legal tech, there are very few places Bob is not seen or heard. So Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, it's a real honor to be uh, part of your recently launched podcast, and congratulations on, on getting it going. Thank you so much. The honor is is truly mine, and I think this is especially fun for us to be able to talk like this because at one point uh, before I transitioned into the public relations field, I was a legal journalist uh, with ALM for a number of years, and, and Bob was sort of my idol. So... <laughs> This is the honor is is all mine. Well, thank you. It's, it's I'm looking forward to doing it, and I get to talk to uh, Zach Warren, a former associate of yours, uh, every week on our Legal Tech Roundtable. So that's always fun too. Yeah, I love tuning into those when I can. It's it's fun to listen to you guys kind of rehash the week and hear what's been important to you. So with that said, I will jump into our questions. Here we are nearing the end of a long, interesting, albeit strange year. What has been your biggest t- takeaway this year in terms of either a specific trend or maybe multiple trends that you've been seeing in the legal industry? Yeah, it has been a strange year, right? Um, and uh, we're all looking forward to it being over. It, you know, it's been such a momentous year in so many ways that it's it's it. it Hard to kind of boil it down to a specific trend, but but obviously from from where I sit, I look at the technology issues, and it's almost become a, a truism to say that this year has kind of accelerated adoption of of tech in the legal profession. I'm not even sure accelerated is the right word so much as I, th- I think it's really reframed the conversation around technology. I think I, I think there are a lot of legal professionals who are still kind of debating exactly what the role should be of technology um, in their practices or in the profession prior to you know March of March of this year. And then almost overnight, it seemed that everybody suddenly understood uh, that that technology was was really a lifeline to the to the survival of their practices and and to their ability to continue to serve their clients uh, and specifically you know it's it, it was cloud technology uh, and again I I can't it's it's crazy to me how long we've been kind of debating in the legal profession uh, the idea of moving to the cloud uh, but again this year has really um, Pretty much terminated that debate and uh, made clear that we we need to move to the cloud and and uh, you know we've been seeing a, an acceleration of, of practices of all sizes, law practices of all sizes moving to the cloud. Um, so that that's that's really been probably the biggest one. I mean, I, there's so many other 
little things, not little, but but uh, things that are almost uh, uh, subservient to that that I I could mention. But uh, you know, I think one other one really kind of worth worth talking about has been the 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 increasing talk about loosening lawyer regulation that's, that's really taken off this year in a, in a big way, particularly with developments in Arizona and Utah. Uh, and I, I think uh, with Utah, you know, as you know, has developed the regulatory sandbox in which they're experimenting with different ways to deliver legal services and particularly uh, using technology to do that. And, and Arizona uh, came out with some pretty sweeping revisions to its rules this year. Uh, and those are really going to drive, I think, uh, major changes and in, in further adoption of technology and legal. So I, I think those are probably the two big ones. I definitely agree. And I think to the the previous point about COVID and the pandemic being an accelerator of sorts, now as we're, you know, nearing 2021 and uh, coming up to the end of the year, putting maybe just a little bit of a different lens on it, which is now, uh, how can you go backwards? You know, initially, I think the, the acceleration was really a matter of keeping the lights on and how to move the business forward. And just curious, how how do you see this um, being more of a long-term impact on the industry as a whole? Again, it's it's so difficult to say. I, I, I think the longer-term impact is that, not to be redundant here, but I, I think the, the move to the cloud is now a, uh, a, a clearly defined direction for legal practitioners uh, you know, I wrote on my blog not long ago about the news that uh, Intap, a sort of major provider of, of technology and services to the legal profession, had announced it's no longer going to support on-premises software right. for for its clients. Uh, and uh, you know that that's significant just because it reflects a trend overall. And I think even probably some of the slowest to move to the cloud have been the larger law firms uh, for security reasons, in particular. And again, that that conversation has changed dramatically. Um, and you know, the other the, the other part that's really influenced this conversation is the idea that um, as we have all moved to working from home over the past eight months, uh, initially there was some disruption and there was some adjustment and there was some having to get used to it, but. As it's turned out, it's worked out pretty well for a lot of professionals and a lot of law firms. And I don't think we're ever quite going back to the office as we knew it. Uh, I'm sure we will be going back to law offices and, and to uh, uh, having having meeting rooms and conference rooms and all of that, but on a much scaled down basis, I think. And so that's going to further drive our need to have sophisticated technology that's going to enable us to do everything we need to do remotely. Mm-hmm. And how about for you personally, Bob? How, I mean, you you were always traveling. I think every time I talked to you, you were in an airport or on your way to your next conference. Um, how has the pandemic changed how you cover news? And, um, and also, are you finding yourself having different conversations with the folks that you're speaking with? My conversations are definitely different. One of the first questions I now ask people is, how are you? Something I never would have asked them before. Uh, And I I noticed really in the early days of the pandemic, when you would ask people that question, you could hear 
you know, sometimes fear, anxiety uh, in their voices. As, as we've gotten on into this, uh, you know, it's now, uh, we're now, what, eight months into it or something, nine months, I've lost track. People have adapted to it. Uh, and uh, I, I hate everybody keeps talking about the new normal, but it has kind of become the new normal. We've all gotten kind of used to it in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people are still are still struggling with it. And, uh, and so I do tend to ask people about that. Um, you know, I definitely when I when I'm interviewing a legal tech company, I'm definitely asking them how the pandemic has affected their own ability to continue to deliver their product or, or service to their customers. Uh, I'm asking them how their product or service addresses the situation that legal professionals find themselves in now. Uh, that's really what we're a lot of us are concerned about right now. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm always looking on the lookout for kind of pandemic-related stories, if you want to call it that. I mean, stories about new technologies or tools that help legal professionals get through um, get through this 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 time that we're in, and uh, and and how it might change things going forward as well. Um, one other one other way it's changed things for me personally is is exactly what we're doing right now, which is it's it seems that there has just been a surge in popularity of you know podcasts and video programming and all sorts of things. Uh, and I, I I mean just since uh, since March since April, I am spending so much more time. Um, interviewing people uh, in audio for audio or video uh, recordings as opposed to just something I'm going to write up for my blog. Uh, it's gotten to the point where, you know, I'm doing multiple recordings every week uh, of one kind or another. So that's been a big change for me. Yeah, you, I mean, I, I feel like you are really, truly everywhere, Bob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you've talked about, you know, there's been, a, a vast amount of legal tech funding that has happened during this time. Uh, what are some, you know, other types of news or trends that have been surprising to you? Uh, one of the surprises to me was the the overall facility with which the legal profession adapted to working from home. I, I thought there might be a real, <laughs> a real kind of disaster for some, for, for some law firms, especially in the early days that weren't prepared for working from home. Uh, there didn't turn out to be any major horror stories that I heard. It seemed that most firms were able to make the change pretty easily. I was just talking this morning to somebody from one of the, you know, one of the largest law firms in the country who said, yeah, they had to kind of scramble in the first few days and teach some lawyers some skills that that they might not have had or figure out, uh, you know, how to get a DocuSign contract uh, in place or something like that. But overall, it went pretty smoothly. And I, I was surprised by that. And I was also surprised really for the courts that that the courts I mean it was it's been a difficult transition for the courts but I think the courts have responded well uh you know the courts were I think way behind the legal profession more broadly in terms of their use and adoption of technology and they were not well prepared for this um and I think they did a pretty good job of of making a quick transition to at least Keeping keeping things running, if if not getting back to anywhere near normal operations, which they still haven't done. But those have surprised me. Um, 
the other the other interesting thing is just how much activity there has been this year, especially in the legal tech area. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you see this with with your clients, but it, it seems there has been a, a a kind of a surge in product development since the pandemic hit. And I don't know whether that's because everybody's uh, got a little more time on their hands and they're working on projects that they had on the back burner for a while or, or what it is, but there has been a, an, a lot of activity this year. This has been a really busy year in legal tech. It hasn't been a quiet year at all. Yeah, it definitely has. So, I mean, that's definitely, I think, one of the positives that we've seen come out of this Talk to me a little bit about events. I know that you uh, have frequently attended, I mean, almost every major legal event um, that's been in existence. I know you try to be everywhere. And I'm just curious, what what is your take on how organizations have had to pivot from in-person events to virtual events? And, you know, do they provide, I know they don't, they're not the same format, but do they bring value um, in ways that maybe they they couldn't with an in-person event? Yeah, well, you know, the good news for virtual events has been that they are more inclusive, that they allow people who might not have been able to afford to go to Chicago or the West Coast or wherever it is, uh, you know, they can attend virtually now. And that, that's a good thing. Uh, and a lot of them are now Free or or very uh, or or they're charging very little for people to attend, so that's a good thing. The programming has been very good at some of these conferences, uh, and again, they're they're able to bring in speakers at some of these conferences that they might not otherwise have been able to bring in. Those have all been good things. Um, you know what we have lost, though, continues to be. The kind of networking, the face-to-face contact that we all used to go to conferences for. You know, as you said earlier, I I went to a lot of conferences every year. And one of the reasons I used to like to go was for those conversations that took place kind of offline at the conferences, not not so much sitting in a in a conference room listening to a speaker, but the hallway conversations, the people you run into, the people you meet. Um, and I think the conferences have been, uh, the virtual conferences have had a lot of trouble replicating that. Uh, I did, you know, I wrote about the, the Clio conference. I thought they did a, a, a better job than most at, at that in kind of creating an environment of a, a allowing for some uh, more spontaneous interaction with other attendees and offering different ways to kind of interact with different attendees offline. Um but it's it's still it's been a struggle. I mean, not, a virtual conference is is not the equivalent of a live conference, and and of course for the for the vendors, I I think it's really been difficult. I I don't think I've seen a single conference yet that has come up with a good formula uh, for connecting the attendees with the vendors in a way that a live conference does, uh, and I think that's been. It's probably been frustrating for the vendors, uh, and and I think it's probably frustrating for some of the people who go to these conferences. Again, wanting to be able to have those face to face conversations with vendors, want to be able to roam around an exhibit hall and see what's new. Um, so mm-hmm. I'd like to see that. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting back to physical conferences, if nothing else, than for that. Uh, I, yeah, I can tell you that we can, I can, fact, I can tell you here, break the news here that we are, we are going to do every year at ABA tech show. I do this startup alley. Yeah. 
program. And, and we are going to, we have just decided we are going to do that this year at ABA Tech Show again. Obviously, it's going to be a online event as opposed to a live event, but uh, we will open the first day of Tech Show with uh, a, a Startup Alley pitch competition. And I'll be putting out details on that pretty soon. Oh, that's exciting. Is that still going to be, um, is that in February? They are in uh, March this year. I forget the exact date. Yeah. Oh, March. Okay. So just pivoting a little bit to a different topic, you know, I know you get inundated with pitches and story ideas and, you know, folks who want to get you in front of their clients. What, what do you think, especially now, you know, in this current environment, what are some tips or just for you personally, ways that you think PR professionals and or marketers could do a better job of when they try to sell you on a story or, you know, otherwise engage you? I think, uh, uh, you know, my standard line on this is if they really want to engage me, give it, give me an exclusive on it <laughs> and, and right. then, I'll be, then I'll be much more inclined to listen. Uh, that, that, that only happens rarely. And I, I like it when that happens, but I don't really expect that, um, in, in the normal course, but I, I do think it helps, uh, when somebody is, is pitching me on a story to, to tell me why the news matters and, and not just why it matters to the company, like this is big news for us and we're excited about it, but why does it matter to the people out there who use those kinds of products, whether it's their customers directly or, or legal professionals more generally? I mean, help me understand why the story is something that, that my readers are going to want to read about because it's not always obvious to me sometimes. And, 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 I, and I do get a lot of pitches that are news that are, as I say, that are that are important to the company uh, and they see it as big news, but it's not necessarily important to people out there who are reading my blog. And so I think that would that that would be something that would be useful. And then the other thing is, you know, there was a there was a I felt like for uh, a long time there was a uh, a very small group of, of people covering legal tech that that group has gotten a little bit bigger over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, we talk. We talked about my our Friday roundtable where we get a lot of different uh, journalists who are covering legal tech on there. But I think what we what we realize is we are all getting exactly the same pitch uh, from the same uh, you know vendors all the time. And I wonder whether it wouldn't make more sense to mix it up a little bit. I mean, sure, you're going to pitch us all, but maybe you could come at each of us with a slightly different angle that you're giving the other legal tech writers out there. You know, uh, give me something a little different than what you're giving them, perhaps, because, you know, once I've once I know that it's already going to be covered, uh, you know, on some other blog before I'm even up in the morning, then I'm I'm less inclined to kind of scramble around and get it up on my blog when the news is already out there. But maybe if I have a different way to come at the story or a different angle, I might be more likely to want to pick up on it. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. And you've made reference to your, your Friday roundtables a few times. So maybe for the folks listening who aren't familiar, just tell us a little bit about how you started doing those. I think they began sort of out of COVID and wanting to connect with the bigger legal journalist ecosystem that's out there, all the folks that you just mentioned who are covering the news. Um, was that your idea? And you know, what are some of the things that you think you're getting out of those conversations? So it, it actually evolved out of a, a different 
the same a podcast by the same name, but a totally different format. I mean, early on uh, in the COVID time, I started wanting to do kind of a weekly, just a quick weekly roundup of the week's news in legal tech. I thought it'd be useful to put it into an audio format. And so I would do a, a kind of a quick little five or so minute wrap of, of the week's news. And then I would have a guest on who had something to do with something in the week's news and interview that guest. And the whole thing would run about 15 minutes. Um, and I, I don't know, it wasn't, it, it was a, it was a lot of work for, for little reward and it just didn't, the format didn't quite feel right. And, uh, uh, and actually, my producer, uh, Ben, uh, who uh, is, I believe, also your producer, uh, is suggested to me uh, something more like this roundtable idea. I said, what about getting a group of people around to just kind of talk in a more informal manner about uh, about the week's news and hash it out? Uh, so uh, I give Ben credit for the idea and uh, invited a few people initially, and, and they all thought it would be fun. And we thought we'd try it for a few weeks and see how it went. And uh if you ever listened to the show in the, in the first few weeks of it, we would always kind of say, well, maybe we'll be back next week. Maybe we won't. We, we weren't even sure we were going to do it as a regular thing. But uh, it's turned out to be a regular thing, and uh, we, we all enjoy it. We've got uh, a roster of panelists that's been pretty steady, uh, changes a little bit from week to week depending on who's available. Uh, but I think we will continue to do it for a while. Um, We've experimented with different formats, and I'd love suggestions from anybody as to how to mix it up a little bit. We sometimes have guests on that show and sometimes don't. But the main premise the main premise of it is that every week we each kind of pick out one of our – what we saw as a top story of the week and describe it a little bit. And then the other panelists all weigh in and give their thoughts on it. I know you can't predict the future, Bob, but if you could venture a guess, when do you think we will actually have a, an in-person industry event next year? Or do you think it's going to happen next year? I don't know. Um, I think we will have some in-person events next year. I mean, I, I am hopeful with the news that just came out, uh, you know, of, of advances in finding a, a way to, to treat uh, COVID and uh, immunize people against COVID. Um, some of these events, like, you know, like the ILTA event is just such a huge thing that if they don't start planning it pretty soon, then it's just not going to happen. So I don't know what they're thinking at this point. Um, I would like to think that towards the end of 2021, we will see some in-person events, but I have no idea. Yeah, I know um, Clock is cautiously optimistic. They announced they're planning an in-person event September of 2021 at the Bellagio. So uh -huh. that's probably <laughs> probably a little ambitious, but um, who knows? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are going to be even after even if things start to get back to normal. I think so many people are going to be skittish about traveling to a big event like that for a while to come. I, I'm not sure I see people getting comfortable with it um, really until maybe for another year even. So this is a little bit more of a fun question, but uh, relates to our, our topic here of, of travel. Um, and that is, I'm just curious if, if there was somewhere you could go anywhere in the world right now um, and safely, wh where would you want to go? Oh man, I want to go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's such a tough that is such a difficult question uh, because there are just so many places I want to go but um, 
I will say I have really been craving to get back to Cuba, where I had the good opportunity to uh, go a couple of years ago, actually with Ben, my son. He and I traveled there together, and we only got to see a little bit of it, and we just loved it, and I've been dying to get back there and see much more of it. So if I could just hop on a plane and go anywhere right now, that's probably where I would go. Well, I hope you can get there sooner than later, that's for sure. And actually, before we close, I wanted to share a little bit of a fun fact about Bob, because I feel like we all think we know Bob Ambrosi, but I learned something I thought would be fun to share, which is Bob used to practice law in the Virgin Islands uh, before coming back to the U.S. and uh, and had a family. So, Bob, knowing what you know now, do you regret that decision? <laughs> Leaving the Virgin Islands? Yeah. Every day. <laughs> Every day I get up and say, what the heck did I do? No, I, I loved it. I really loved it there. Uh, I'm actually still on an arbitration panel down there, and I still get some cases down there. As, as a matter of fact, I have a, three open cases down there right now that we've been trying to schedule, which, of course, we haven't been able to schedule. But uh, I expect I will be back down there sometime uh, before the end of this year anyway, or before the end of 2021, rather, not this year. All right. Well, you are always very honest, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of For the Record. You can listen to more episodes of For the Record wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or go to platform.com forward slash for the record. That's platform with a number four. Platform helps established leaders and emerging growth companies articulate how cutting-edge technologies and services are reshaping and reinventing the world we live in. Until next time, I'm Erin Harrison.